A very good morning to you. My name is Matthew. If I haven't met you before, it is great to be with you now and uh, to join you in this series on mission, the image of God and mission. And it's something that is particularly close to my heart. I didn't come to faith, or I didn't, faith didn't find me until I was 32 years of age. And I think it's something that as a church, you know, we just have to keep thinking about. It's not something that gets done. It is not a problem that simply gets fixed. It's something that we need to keep holding in front of us and thinking deeply about. You know, when you first came here as a congregation, however you arrived here at Christ Church Vienna, you automatically, as a church plant, became a mission. The very presence of a worshiping community in any part of the world is mission. It has a missional nature about it. And it's why I believe very strongly in church planting. But I want to spend a few minutes with you this morning, and I'm going to try and keep it short so that you can get to the annual meeting. And you need to come to that. Um, but I'm going to, I'd like to think particularly a little bit about outsiders. People outside. I am an outsider. You can hear it from my accent. I have actually been an immigrant twice in my life. I lived in France for a couple of years, and I've now lived in the United States for 10 years. So I am an immigrant. As an immigrant, one of those two countries was much easier to be an immigrant in. And the answer is not France. I apologize if there are any French here. So I know what it is like to be an immigrant, but I also know what it is like to be outside of faith, because I didn't come to faith until the age of 32. So I want to spend a little time thinking about those outside the faith. And I know that as soon as I say that, I have automatically offended somebody. I'm walking a fine line this morning, and I'm bound to offend somebody, because nobody likes to be called an outsider. We don't like to be outsiders humanly. So I want to spend just 20 minutes this morning thinking about outsiders, but not so much what you and I think about it, but what does the Scripture say? What do the Scriptures say about outsiders? And I want to try to answer two questions. First of all, do the Scriptures create insiders and outsiders? That is an accusation that is often hurled at the Christian community. You Christians, you're so judgmental. You're forever dividing people up into insiders and outsiders. Do the Scriptures do that? First question. And then the second question, however you answer that first question, how then are those who might consider themselves insiders, how are we supposed to respond to those outside? And I'm going to do one of those uh, talks where you go sort of to 10,000 feet, fly in a plane over the whole Bible. I'm going to try and do it, as I said, in 20 minutes or a little less now. So you're going to have to hang on in there. We're going to go relatively fast. But would you pray with me before we have a go at this? Father God, this morning, as always, I pray that it would be your voice that is clearest, that by your Spirit you would teach us through your Scriptures through the big narrative arc of the Scriptures, you would reveal something of yourself to us. 
the Lord Jesus, you would be our rabbi this morning. You would be our teacher. It would be your voice that is heard. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just start this 10,000-foot view, if you will, of insider and outsider dynamics by stating the obvious. I am not you. You are not me. True? You are other. Some of you are very other. Quite strange, in fact. By the end of this talk, you may think that I am quite other. Quite strange. That is part of human development. It's a necessary part of human development, that as you grow, you learn to distinguish what is me and what is not me. The failure to do that has a medical term. It's called schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is the inability to know what is me and what is not me. It happens on an individual level, but it also happens on a group level. Groups start to define what is in and what is out. So, as an example, I might say I am a fan of the New England Patriots. There are certain things that I do that identify myself with that group, clothes I wear, behaviors, and I get to go to the Super Bowl. That's my identity. You may support another team. You have other behaviors, other clothes, and you don't get to the Super Bowl. That is your identity. Do you get the picture? We all do it, and churches are no different. I can tell you that as a former outsider walking towards the church, and I had no church background when I grew up. I never went to church as a kid. That as you walk towards the church, it's a very interesting experience. There are different languages. I'm not talking about French, English, but there's a different language that gets used in church. There are different behaviors that seem very foreign, and you feel like an outsider walking towards the church. I, my journey towards the church started with my girlfriend. She became a Christian, much to my annoyance. And she invited and persuaded me to go to a crusade, and I arrived in this crusade in England. It was a large one. There were thousands of people there, and it was very bizarre. They used strange language like, praise the Lord. What does that mean? I went into this worship event, and there were people there with big purple flags waving them around. Why are they doing that? And why are they smiling at me all the time? Stop it! Stop smiling! <laughs> but what about the Scriptures? Do the Scriptures encourage the sense of inside and outside? Do they actually create a separation? Well, in one sense, the answer to that question is a plain yes. And I'm going to try and go through this relatively quickly. That from the beginning of God's story of redemption... God starts to separate out to Himself a people. Now, you know the basic story. God creates the world very good, but there is a falling away, a disobedience. Adam and Eve become the first and original outcasts. They are the original outcasts who carry in themselves all humanity into this kind of outsider status. But already at the beginning, there is a promise of protection. God makes them clothes. There is also the promise of redemption. The seed of the woman in Genesis 3 will crush eventually the head of the serpent. So as Adam and Eve are cast out already, there is still a promise of being brought back in. And then you get this whole narrative throughout the, whole, um, the Old Testament of how God separates out to Himself a people. And it begins with Abraham. And I know that you've heard a little bit about Abraham over the last few weeks. 
Abraham is separated out of his country and made a promise by God that he will become a great nation through Abraham. I will make your name great, God promises, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. You. Well, I will curse. There's inside and outside here. And no sooner do we start into that story of Abraham that we get one of the archetypal insider-outsider stories of the Old Testament, Isaac and Ishmael. You know the story? Isaac and Ishmael. You remember how it goes. Sarah, wife of Abraham, gets bored of waiting for God to do what he would said he would do, tries to fix the problem of no son by having Abraham sleep with his maid, Hagar. No sooner has she done that, or rather has Abraham done that successfully, and a child is born, than Hagar, um, so I beg your pardon, than Sarah gets angry with Hagar and angry with Abraham for doing what she told him to do. I'm sure that's never happened in your marriages, right? I'm looking at my wife over there right now. So now, within one family, there is an insider and an outsider. Ishmael is a kind of echo of Adam and Eve. He's the product of human thinking, trying to do it our way. And Ishmael is cast out of the family. Sarah says to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. Ishmael is going to be a permanent outsider. And that begins this whole story of Isaac who is part of the promise, he's part of the circumcision, and this line that then continues down through the Old Testament of those who are inside, the ones separated out to God. A few hundred years later, we pick up the narrative again in Egypt. The separated out ones, those separated out to God, are now living as slaves in Egypt, and we get another great story of God separating a people he brings them out of Egypt into the desert to teach them how not to be like other people, how to be separated ones, those separated out to Him. God goes to great lengths in the desert to teach the Hebrews to be other. You shall be holy unto me, God says. I am the, uh, the Lord, I am holy, and have severed you. I've broken you off from other people so that you will be mine. We get the giving of the law, more enforcements of insider-outsider status. Don't worship other gods, don't worship idols, don't intermarry. Don't go into treaties, no TPP. You get more obscure behavioral enforcements of insider-outsider status. Don't mix cloth. The Jewish food laws, very mysterious. No one has ever fully reasonably explained Jewish law, uh, food laws. Don't eat this, do eat that. The best explanation, the best sociological explanation, it's a way of reinforcing who's in, who's out. Lots of that kind of language and sense. And then you get the history of Israel moving into the promised land and the failure to live out that otherness that separatedness to God, a failure to do that, which ultimately leads to the cry through the prophetic voice for a Messiah, and the Messiah finally comes, and we get Jesus. Big sigh of relief. Jesus, the Messiah, has come, true Israel, the one who is wholly separated to God, and surely, we say, 
That's when this kind of insider, outsider stuff ends. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, blesser of little children, children, floats around with a nighty about a foot off the ground. You know? Generally good guy, yes? But no. I mean, he is a good guy. But uncomfortably for us, Jesus is quite happy to use the language of separation. Listen to this. Whoever denies me, says Jesus, before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. That's uncomfortable. Do not assume that I have come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus says, not my words. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn mother against father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Yikes. In fact, the whole force of Jesus' ministry is, to quote C.S. Lewis, to get you and I to answer an in-out question. Who is Jesus? Is he lunatic, liar, or Lord? You must decide. Are you in or are you out? So we can't escape in this missional task that you and I are engaged in of this great sense that there is a separation. It's uncomfortable in a pluralistic, tolerant world, but it is there. And in fact, in the missional task, if we do not hold Jesus high and that question, who is Jesus? Is he Lord? Is he your Lord? Are you in or out? There is no force to our mission whatsoever. And missional attempts that try to make that more comfortable by dumbing down that question never work in the end. And as I say that, part of me wants to take off my collar and say, yes, but I remember what it was like to feel outside. And that voice that comes sort of up in my subconscious, I spent two-thirds of my life as a not-Christian, as an outsider, and only one-third of my life inside. And that voice that says, oh, you Christians, you just can't help yourselves, can you? You're always dividing the world up, dividing into inside and outside. Aren't you the cause of all the trouble? That is, if we don't know it, let me tell you now, that is one of the great accusations, if you will, that is coming against religion of all kind. You divide people up. You're a cause of all this trouble, of all these wars. It's not true, but that's what gets held of us. Do the Scriptures create this sense of separation? Yes. But does that give us, who might consider ourselves insiders, the warrant, the right to then lay over the rest of the world and decide who is in and who is out? Do you see what I'm saying? There is a sense of separation in the Scriptures. You can't get away from it. Jesus does beg you to uh, force you to answer the question, Lord, lunatic, liar. But in that sense of separation, does that give me the right to lay on the rest of the world and the people I meet a kind of grid where I get to separate who is in and who is out? And to answer that question... I want to just bring uh, to your, mind, uh, your um, uh, attention this book. It's a book written by a Jewish rabbi. 
It's a book about religious violence. It's called Not in God's Name by um, the man who used to be the chief rabbi of the UK, a man called Jonathan Sachs. And he looks really hard at this question of insider-outsider in terms of its cause of a lot of uh, uh, religious war. I think he, he uh, is a little simplistic in his understanding of what causes conflict. He's also very negative about Christians. I think he also misunderstands Christianity. I don't think he's really understood it. So why on earth would I recommend a book that is rather negative about Christians and I think is mistaken, or not mistaken, is doesn't have the full picture? Well, because this book is probably the most brilliant book I have ever read when it looks at some of the narratives, particularly in the Old Testament, and as a Jew he's writing about the Old Testament, that subverts the simplistic division of people into insiders and outsiders. Words that are echoed by true Israel, Jesus himself, who says, do not judge. That is not our task. Let me have a little look again at the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. You remember we looked at it a few minutes ago. Isaac, the insider, Ishmael, the outsider, right? Well, not so fast. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out that if you read the narrative, the whole force of empathy, all stories are there to invite our identification and empathy, is with Ishmael, not Isaac. We hear almost nothing about Isaac as a boy. We hear almost nothing about Abraham's feelings towards Isaac as a boy. You remember a little bit later, Isaac and Abraham go on a little adventure, a little, you know, man-boy adventure in the desert where Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac. And in that story, we never hear anything about what Abraham feels. Very strange. But there is nothing unintentional about Scripture. But Ishmael, no, we hear of Abraham's deep distress about what's happening with Ishmael. Who's the one that God hears? Hagar. In the desert, when she is cast out, the Scriptures say, God hears Hagar. The whole empathetic, if you will, force of the narrative points to Ishmael, not Isaac. And listen to the promises that God makes to Abraham about Ishmael. As for Ishmael, God says, I have heard you. I've heard your distress about this boy who's going to become an outcast. I will surely bless him and I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. If you know the story, that's exactly what God said to Abraham about his line. He will be the father, Ishmael, of 12 rulers. Hang on a minute, 12? That's exactly like the 12 tribes of Israel, isn't it? There are deliberate echoes that the writer of Genesis is putting in here. And I will make him into a great nation. Fast forward to the end of the Abraham story. Abraham has died, and Isaac is standing there at the graveside, grieving. Who's standing right next to him? Ishmael. Ishmael is there at his father's death with Isaac. And as you look through the Scriptures... You start to see, if you are willing, and this is what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs does in his book, 
this constant and deliberate subversion of simplistic insider-outsider status. Chosen, not chosen. When Israel leaves Egypt, it very clearly says, a mixed multitude of people went with them. It wasn't just Jewish people. It wasn't just Hebrews. When Israel enters the Promised Land, you have Joshua and Caleb. And at the very least, we know that Caleb came from a mixed background. Possibly he was a Gentile. Two of the great Jewish heroes, Joshua and Caleb. And we read this morning that narrative, that little bit of text from Isaiah. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. You must and you cannot judge. Let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. There is possibility in absolutely everyone. And the ultimate blurrer of simplistic insider-outsider narratives is the same one who forces you to answer the question, Lord, lunatic, or liar, Jesus. Jesus went to all the wrong places, all the wrong parts of the world, hung out with all the wrong people, and told stories constantly of insiders who behaved like outsiders and outsiders who behaved like insiders. The Good Samaritan, the Great Banquet. There's this constant subversion of a simplistic division of the world into insider and outsider. And the ones who Jesus had most difficulty with and got most angry with were the ones who insisted on having absolutely clear, defined boundaries. The Pharisees. That's what they did. They drew laws around laws around laws. And no doubt that was personally, partly about personal moral piety, but it was also, you can bet, a very easy way to know who's inside and who's outside, for sure. So where does that leave us in the great missional task, which you are engaged on, that I'm engaged on, It leaves us with this almost double task, I think. On the one hand, lifting Jesus high. Is he Lord? Is he your Lord? You must answer that question. Yes or no. Are you in or are you out? But at the very same time, the missional task is an almost intentional breaking down of every other possible division within the human family, as long as we don't sacrifice our integrity. Breaking down every possible social group dynamic that divides people up. It is why it is intolerable to have racial division within the church. It is intolerable to have division within the church on the basis of race, culture, nationality, or origins. And it's why missional organizations are clear at the center, but kind of fuzzy on the edges. You might not be sure who's in and who's out. You might not know. And until we can get comfortable in that place, it is very difficult to approach outsiders. Let me finish with this. You can do all the missional training in the world, and I think it's wonderful to do that. 
We can have strategies, we can have meetings, we can think about it, but as a former outsider, just let me tell you, outsiders are not stupid. <laughs> they know what you really feel about them. They know whether you like them or not. No one wants to be turned into a project. Just ask my kids. The easiest way, for the sake of mission, for the sake of holding up Jesus as Lord, is He your Lord or is He not? The easiest way to break down the unholy barriers is to actually like people who are not like you, to love them, to look for the good in them, to find as you've been learning the image of God with them. That's what people respond to, not our clever arguments. That's what they want to know. Do you actually like me? And that's not just good, it is right. Because in reality, you never know who it is who is standing before you. Thirty years ago, if, you, if I had stood in front of you, you would never have said, one day that man will be with me in Vienna preaching in a collar. No way. I promise you. So if you had met me 30 years ago, was I an insider or was I an outsider? Was I an outsider with the potential to be an insider? Or if you want to get really theological, if it's about God's call more than it's about my decision, was I already an insider that looks like an outsider? <laughs> Let me finish with this quote from C.S. Lewis. This is from The Weight of Glory. It's a serious thing, says C.S. Lewis, to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. There is in and out. But all day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. Everyone you meet is a possibility. Everyone, without exception. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Shall we pray? Father God, I want to ask really for your continued blessing on Christ Church Vienna on its leadership as you come to this um, annual meeting. And, you know, this church was formed out of desire for mission. It's got mission right at its heart. A liking and a loving of those outside the church. 
So, Father, as, um, as you talk, as we talk as a body this, this morning, I pray that your Spirit, the one who was sent, who is sent from heaven, that it would be your Spirit that forms and guides everything that happens here this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.